Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our light. Illumine our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Now we pray in his name. Amen. I believe at least one person this morning will know the last words heard at the end of Pink Floyd's magnum opus, The Wall. At the very beginning of In the Flesh, a very quiet Roger Waters is heard saying, where we came in? And then at the very last moments of Outside the Wall, a similarly quiet Roger Waters says, isn't this, do you get it? Okay, it goes around and round and round. Isn't this where we came in? Loads of people have actually done something like that, particularly in kind of psychedelic sort of 70s rock. I'm trying to round things off by beginning them again. It's the best way that musicians in the 70s had to deal with the beginning and the end of things. We reach for eternity by things like, you know, the science museum where you put two mirrors next to each other and you can see them sort of stretching infinitely backwards. Or, you know, when you get a camera to see a screen of its own live feed and it sort of goes, woo, like that, you know, like that. Or sometimes it happens by mistake or like screenception on your computer when it goes bing, 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 bing and all the screens sort of come. But that doesn't really mean anything, does it? At best, it means we can sort of imagine things going round and round forever. That's actually the point of like a vinyl or a CD, back when people use those. Soon people are going to forget what they are, aren't they? Just like a cassette. No one knows what a ca- These guys don't know what a cassette is. They didn't know what you did with a pencil when it broke. They, they just don't know that stuff. What if there was a moment where the beginning met the end and somehow completed both? War, peace, war again. Conscription, voluntary army, conscription. Hope from a new government, and then everyone desperate for them to leave with a prediction of a landslide for the opposition. (coughs) New life, getting old, death, new generation again. What if there was something that actually broke that cycle and pushed us into something genuinely new? Things actually progressed like we're always told they're going to one day. That is Jesus and Mary at Candlemas. This simple event when both Mary and Jesus come to the temple in Jerusalem to be obedient to the law of the Lord begins the cosmic action of this incarnate Lord Jesus to set the entirety of everything back on track from going round in meaningless circles, back on track to a meaning-filled eternity. In this little story, the cross is here. Lent isn't far away. But Jesus' redemption of humanity, and therefore the whole cosmos from futile circles, actually begins just by what he does here, not just by prefiguring the cross. So verse 22 to 27, we're going to have overlapping looks at this passage. Jesus presents humanity to God. Jesus presents humanity to God. It's just possible people remember a little bit of the Book of Common Prayer that talks about the churching of women. Maybe this is something that our grandparents did. People don't really do that anymore. But not that long ago, every new mother 
used to bring her baby to church and do a short service giving thanks from being delivered from the peril of childbirth. And this is actually a remembrance of a very ancient Jewish law that's referred to in our passage. Exodus 13, about presenting your firstborn child to God. And Leviticus 12, about the purification of a woman after childbirth. Not because somehow childbirth makes you unclean, but because a woman is almost too holy after they've been so intimately involved in the bringing of a new life into the world. The purpose of the ceremonies in the Old Testament was retained in this churching of women. The beginning of a new life is so sacred, so mysteriously wondrous, that it had to be recognised in some way, even beyond baptism. Baptism is new spiritual life, but this is acknowledging the beginning of a physical body. It involved offering this new life to God and the woman recommitting her life to God after being delivered from this peril of bringing life into the world. There's actually a big difference between this service in the Book of Common Prayer and the ceremony in the Old Testament. In the church after Jesus' incarnation, it's not just firstborn sons who are offered to God in this way. It's every child. From this moment in our gospel reading, when Jesus does what every firstborn son in Israel has done, and Mary does what every mother has done, things change. And there is actually a little hint in the way Luke tells the story that this is a bringing together of the beginning and the end of the cycle so that it can go forwards into something new. So you'll notice verse 22 to 24, this is worth looking down at the Bibles if you've got them. There are basically three versions of according to the law of the Lord. Slightly obscured by the translation, but it's there, the law of the Lord, the law of Moses, three times. But then verse 25 to 27, when Simeon appears, we get him described as having experienced the direct action of the Holy Spirit Also three times, the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been told him by the Holy Spirit and he came by the Spirit into the temple. You have the bringing together of the law, this repeated pattern that always ended in the end with whoever you were offering dying and needing to offer someone else just going round and round. And the Holy Spirit, who is full of life. Law and Spirit coming together. This law had been done faithfully by generations of women and firstborn sons in obedience to the Lord who gave the law through Moses. But this time, that obedience to the law is met by a human full of the Spirit. The Spirit, through Simeon, makes sure we notice this time the law is kept by the one who gave the law. Every single firstborn son was presented to God on behalf of his entire family to show actually that the whole family belonged to God. That's what all of us long to do, really, isn't it? Even if we're unsure sometimes, we we long to be acceptable to God for our life and relationship, to be with him. But this time it's not the firstborn of one family and then there has to be another one and another one and another one. This firstborn son, through Mary, is the firstborn of God the Father. 
He doesn't represent Mary and Joseph. He represents all of us. He doesn't need those doves to be offered. But by offering them on our behalf, he's fulfilling all the days of sacrifices that have ever been. That's why we don't bring doves to church. This bit here. Well, we did today, but you know, we didn't bring it. We didn't mean to. Jesus alone among any human being who has ever lived could actually offer himself as a pure sacrifice to God, not an animal substitute. But this last time, the law that been followed by every human who wanted to offer themselves to God was followed by God to God. Now in Jesus, we can offer ourselves completely and be accepted. And Mary's purification is part of this too. As soon as Jesus deals with the centre of the law to do with the firstborn, the ripple effects begin. He's the firstborn of all creation. So when he's presented to God, all of creation is set on the path to being redeemed and renewed. And the first person to whom this happens is his mother, the woman already pure enough to bear God in her womb, the new Ark of the Covenant. That's what people thought of when this scene was there. You know how the Ark of the Covenant had kind of a throne above it. And you couldn't see the angel of the Lord most of the time, but he was there enthroned above the Ark of the Covenant. Well, here, Jesus is enthroned on his mother. The Ark of the Covenant brings the Lord God in human flesh into the temple. Mary is also described as the new holy of holies, containing God within her. Just as Jesus begins to redeem Adam from the curse in himself, replacing Adam. So through Mary, his mother, he redeems Eve. All life from now on has the potential not to end in death, but to be caught up into the eternal life of God. Wherever we look in the life of Jesus, this sense of waiting, of things going round and round, but longing for something more, of being incomplete, is finally resolved. Jesus presents humanity to God. Then kind of verse 25 down to verse 33, overlapping slightly. Jesus guarantees human worth. We've already met this Simeon, an old man, prophet full of the Spirit. He comes to worship at the temple as he usually does, but is particularly moved by the Holy Spirit towards one baby. According to church tradition, I think I said this last year, he's been waiting a really long time to see the Lord's Messiah. Like he could be like 400 years old or something. Make of that what you will. That's what a lot of Christians believe. And I'm, I'm with them, to be honest. Like, you know, it's brilliant, isn't it? He's been waiting all this time. And now finally, no one tells him who Jesus is. He just knows. This man has kept the law as completely as it's possible for an Israelite to do. And though we're not told his tribe, I think it is significant that his name is Simeon. Because if you look at Simeon, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, he, his tribe comes off really the worst. Personally, he is violent and careless and ends up facing pretty horrible consequences for it. His descendants lead Israel into one of the worst falls into rejection of Jesus that they ever go into. And as a result, his tribe, when you compare the numbers, loses the most people in the wilderness wandering. He ends up being a kind of shell of the former glory. He basically being swallowed up into Judah, losing any distinctive contribution. 
The name Simeon means the worst of humanity. Yuval Noah Harari, the COD philosopher of the World Economic Forum, regularly describes with his atheist astrophysicist mate, Neil deGrasse Tyson, human beings as bags of organs with no intrinsic worth or meaning. Neil deGrasse Tyson's favourite thing is you are just stardust. Much of the climate change discussion has come very close to suggesting the best thing would be for there to be fewer humans. It's increasingly common to describe humanity as only causing problems, as beyond redemption, as if the best thing all of us can do is have fewer children and die quickly, reduce the surplus population. People are saying things like this. Well, this Lord Jesus declares that way of thinking as a terrible lie from his earliest days as a human. Simeon sees Jesus as he is and immediately draws the implications for the whole human race. Simeon holding Jesus in his arms is the reason later in the service we'll be processing with the candle that you were given as you came in. Simeon held the light of the world in his hands and understood that this really meant the light of the world, a light to reveal God to the nations. The problem with humanity is that we are trapped in darkness, not that we are irreversibly doomed. Even righteous Joseph and Mary are amazed at the insight, this old man full of the spirit, not long for this world, says Jesus is going to do for all nations. This festival reminds us Jesus isn't willing to give up on his image bearers. He came to be one of us so that everyone could be what he created them to be. And if we think this is just, you know, idealism, there was a lot wrong with Jerusalem at that time. Herod was king. You know, the Herod who's about to kill all the babies in Jerusalem. The temple they were in at that moment was run by a protection racket of Sadducees. But Simeon, despite all that going on around him, despite war being within a generation that would decimate Israel, not so different from the world we're looking at in 2024, he says, ah, I can die in peace. Just because he's seen the baby Jesus, the Lord's Messiah got something actually just as we read about war with Russia all the kind of nonsense that's been in the news this week when you're getting that sense of dread the doom scroll effect just read Simeon's prayer the church has done that every evening every day pretty much since this moment somewhere this is the reality for humans the news is the lie that will one day be gone forever Jesus guarantees human worth. Finally, verse 34 to 40. Jesus sanctifies human pain. Simeon's not done. Just like Mary before in the Magnificat, which we also say in the evening prayer every day, when she talks about scattering the proud and the imagination of their hearts, Simeon sees that what's really going on in the inner life of humans will finally be visible. Now this one's here. And as if to confirm this, a woman who's fallen on very hard times and lived patiently with them for 84 years 
She's suddenly there. And she also immediately recognises Jesus and then talks to a whole load of other people who have been suffering but are waiting patiently for redemption. Mary addresses, Mary is addressed by Simeon specifically. He doesn't say anything to Joseph, although again, pretty soon after this, Joseph almost certainly dies. He's got something specifically to say to Mary. And Anna kind of completes the picture. Because Mary will suffer, possibly even worse than Anna has suffered. This word about a sword piercing Mary's soul is included to say that humans, as an acceptable sacrifice to God, full of eternal worth, will in some ways continue this pattern of suffering and waiting. The cycle has been changed forever. The meaning of it has been revealed more clearly than ever before in the Lord. The truth of the hearts of people who suffer as not being just downtrodden and losers, but as people who will be redeemed. Well, that's happened. But it won't mean the end of pain for them. Mary is the one in the church who has most embodied patient suffering after Jesus. She, more completely than anyone, understood what it is to suffer with him. We know that she was suffering before he was even born from all the opprobrium around her for having a child out of wedlock. She refused to be ashamed of him ever. And that carries on, tradition tells us, right up to her death. She and Anna, immediately after Cinnamon's prophecy, set the pattern for how what feels like futility in our pain can actually become a means of our redemption. When we accept that this pain is now a sign of us following our Lord Jesus right, well, it's going somewhere. It's achieving something of cosmic and universal significance. And throughout our lives, it's hard to remember that, which is why this festival exists. All that pain we offer to God as an acceptable sacrifice, as something that achieves something, We light the candles and gather around the font to remember our whole life has been illumined by Jesus, particularly the dark times. The whole of human experience can now repeat that transformation of the cosmos that Jesus brings in with his every breath. Jesus presents humanity to God. Jesus guarantees human worth. And Jesus sanctifies human pain. Therefore, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be ascribed all the glory, all the majesty, all the worship, all the wonder, all the glory, forever and ever. Amen.